Welcome to Island Designs, a partnership podcast between Turf and Grey magazine and Belfast Design Week, an annual design festival showcasing and celebrating the design sector in its many forms. As co-hosts, Krishma and I want to capture a moment in time for creatives across the island of Ireland and share their experiences and stories in a different way to audiences around the world. We want to shed light into what being a creative in Ireland means by actually speaking to those within the sector. Each year, Belfast Design Week follows a theme, and this year we want to explore the many ways that the design sector relates to our environments, the natural environment, our working environment, our home environment, and the technological environment. We want to explore our relationships with each of these spaces and how advancements in design can and have created change for our environment and consequently us, and how those ideas will shape our future. We will be discussing how and why the environment and design are so important in today's world. And we will be speaking with creatives from a range of disciplines whose work and lifestyle choices embody our theme. I'm Rachel and I'm a marketing assistant for Bailey's Coffee Roasters in Belfast. I've also been a part of the Turf and Green team, writing and interviewing for both issues four and five over the last two years. And I'm Karishma. I'm a designer and co-director of Belfast Design Week and also part of Team Turf where I met the lovely Rachel, my co-host and Simon, our producer as well. In this episode, Karishma and I discuss the ways in which we can support local. How do we avoid the convenience of large retailers to support local artisans and makers for what we need? We're going to attempt to try and answer this question. And in this episode, I'm delighted to say that the wondrous Lucinda Graham is offering some amazing ways in which we can tackle our problems with shopping on the mass market. Have you heard of H&M's new thing that they have in store? It's called the Loop Recycling System. And I don't know now if it's a gimmick or not. So basically you come in and you say you've got an old pair of socks and you put it into the machine. It unwinds it. I think it depends on what fabric you have. Obviously, if it's woven, you can unwind it into its threads and then turn it into something else. I think they showed a pair of socks turning into a jumper. The jumper looked very small. But it was basically just to give an idea of what that would be like. I think it it is potentially a very exciting idea. You can imagine these vending machine type things almost. You go into the store, you put in your socks, you get out a jumper. But I'm just wondering if it's as simple as that. And actually, is it more a marketing ploy than a recycling process because all materials will not be able to be recycled again it is a one good step towards doing that which is always something to be commended but I wondered if if you had any thoughts on that as well Rachel that's I had heard something about this so I didn't but I didn't know that that you know this called like turning it like you could actually see what it was going to turn it into um yeah I think as you said like those kind of it's commendable when people come up with those kind of ideas because that's really cool. It's really innovative. Um, I, I'm i just so sceptical <laughs> now. I was, um, and I think I've read too much or until I kind of, I think with H&M as well because they have been um, – claiming a lot of stuff and then obviously they don't uh they don't back it up at all with anything that is reassuring to a consumer about their practices um 
yeah, that I would, I want to, I would, I would, yeah, I would really want to question it a lot more. Um, and like, or just, um, see the kind of transparency behind it. Um, Yes, they're calling it a garment-to-garment recycling system, and they said it's part of a bigger plan for the company, which strives to become fully circular and climate positive. Um, And they're saying we must innovate materials and processes, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think they have some goal that by 2030, all materials will be either recycled or sourced in a more sustainable way. A figure that for 2019 was 57%. But I suppose it's that transparency around it. It's, you know, what does that mean? You're talking about recycled and sourced. So maybe the actual materials are, but then there's the other side of it that we were talking about, which is the the human side of it as well. Yeah. So human side and, um, you know, like the environmental impact as well on, because I actually, it was only yesterday I came across it, um, but um, I think it was on an Instagram called the Clean Clothes Campaign. Um, and uh, they put up a post. It might have been them or another similar organization. Um, there were uh, workers in uh, Vietnam who work on a uh, like a safari park. Um, for elephants, it's like an elephant sanctuary. There's a walkway, um, a path sort of through the jungle where the elephants um, walk every day, and they sort of then these guys maintain it and keep it clean and safe. And um, they usually do like um, litter kind of checks, and they find uh, buried in part of the forest like hundreds and hundreds of H and M garment labels. Seriously? Yeah. Um, that sounds the, like a horror film. Yeah, on this nature trail as well. Um, and uh, I was like reading this yesterday and I was like, my goodness. And um, just like, you know, um, yeah, here I've actually found it. So it's, um, sorry, so the Instagram page is called Climate Action Now Sri Lanka. Um, is actually the page thousands of H&M labels were found in a nature reserve which also serves as a secondary jail purpose as a wild elephant corridor um, no, they were notified of trash being tossed along the length of the wild elephant corridor and that elephants were consuming the trash and falling ill due to plastic consumption um, and they arranged for volunteers to travel overnight and clean for two days to their great surfat rise they found h&m labels under a tree um some labels were in fact buried and yeah a lot was on the surface which they could actually just see they uncovered two full garbage bags worth of labels um and they tagged um tagged h&m in their post and everything um but yeah they find like these labels just just um, lying around my goodness yeah so um they obviously have factories um, or production sites in Sri Lanka. Um, I'm pretty sure I know that they have those ones in Vietnam also. Um, and uh, just, 
for me when I read that it kind of brought together the like proximity of these massive sites of production um and um like where all that's happening and the natural environment and how like something something so I guess like minor seeming to us of like a couple of labels um that could have blown out of a garbage bag at the factory or you know something like that but um that just seems a bit suspicious or that there's like two full garbage bags worth being dumped in a nature reserve um but it kind of brings together that like real um like if you've watched um life on our planet on netflix with david attenborough like he was kind of talking about like how we've encroached on the natural environment so much as like a human population um um but obviously like even more so with the kind of globalization that we've um encouraged over the last like decades and then also like this mass production industry um it just it collided those two things for me it just it was so weird just reading that post yesterday being like each and ever making clothes like just down the road from where elephants live <laughs> do you know it like yeah it's strange to imagine that isn't it that there's like this big factory churning out fast fashion and beside it there's like a nature reserve or there's like you know elephants there's it's, yeah it's a strange thought very strange. I think it's that whole idea of us just being so divorced from that design process and how it's made. But the other thing as well is that what I've noticed is a lot of labels, if you've noticed that, you know, the made in Vietnam, made in Bangladesh, I think they're all sort of, you know, going to other countries and you used to maybe see made in India more and used to maybe see some other countries more. And I think the big issue with that is that they are constantly going to where it might be cheaper to make things. So it's not not cheap enough to be in one developing country. They're going to another one that's cheaper. And that's because obviously the big issue there is paying labor properly. And I think that that's a massive problem. And I actually come to think of that. I actually remember um, I went abroad to conduct research for my dissertation. And I remember chatting to people um I was interviewing a lot of people for it um, and sort of on off nights I remember chatting to like residents of the island I was on and um, uh, sort of chatting to them a bit um, and them telling me that um, there were less and less jobs for local islanders because um, the government were bringing people from the likes of the Philippines or Vietnam um, because it was cheaper to pay them than to pay islanders to do the same kind of jobs. Um, and even just, you know, when you know, it was um, that kind of idea of like they're deaf, like it's not just huge companies, it's governments and um, fashion brands and tech companies as well that seek out the labour that is cheaper, that that's easier exploited um even in places where like um the 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 need the local people probably aren't even getting ridiculously high salaries at all um and it's 
they'll still undercut it as much as they can. And like, you know, obviously that is a nature of business, but I feel like if it was seen as more of a bad thing, that perhaps they would start to take that into consideration because I think people are still so, you know, unbothered by it. Even though, you know, people are seeing this on the news all the time, it's not like it's a secret. You know, everyone knows that people are not paid enough to make clothes in, in your high street stores. But I don't think people are bothered enough still that they would make, you know, a, a stand against it. No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, and I just, I think it's, um, it's, it's sad too and it's hard, but it is a hard thing, I think, um, to comprehend. I think, you know, cause like we've been talking about it and, um, like you are so divorced from, um, the design process of all your products and material possessions that, you know, um, our main concern is to get it, to have it, to buy it, to own it, um, to consume it. Um, that once we have it, I think you, um, I think once you have it, once you own it and you're consuming it, then it, um, you know, your, your care about how it was made or something is long gone. Um, and it's something I think everyone's guilty of. And it's so hard to like, you know, as I had said in previous ones, like this last year, I've been trying so much more with the products that I would tend to consume the most of, which would maybe be like clothes and beauty products. I've been actively trying to buy from better source source items or products that I want from better companies um, or secondhand if I can, because um, I feel like, um, I consume less fast fashion in the last couple of years than I have previously. Like I was terrible for it at uni because it was uni and, you know, you were, you always, every, everyone's shopping, everyone's going for nights out and things, nights out and things. And, um, as much as like flatmates and I would share clothes, like you'd, I'd still consume from, um, brands that I wouldn't consume from now just because I I know they're unethical and I don't want to support them um um but I think with the rise of um eBay that bit more and Depop and Vinted and those kind of stores and then just people on Instagram just kind of having like online clothing swaps as well um uh I think it's just trying to maybe um, like I still own a lot of clothes that are from brands that aren't <laughs> great, you know, um, but they're maybe items that I've had for years and I really like them. So I'm not going to throw them away because I'm not going to throw a jumper away because it's from Zara, you know, um, I like it. So I'm going to keep it and I'm going to continue to wear it. I was just going to say, there's like a, a thought as well about us actually taking care more about the things that we have like I just chuck things around and I think if I took more care of things they'd be in better condition and last for a longer time and it's just a very simple thought but it's one that could make a big difference that you know everything you own will last better if you take better care of it 
you know, it's common sense, but I think a lot of us just, you know, you know, throw things around or, you know, stretch things out or don't wash them under the right cycle or don't hand wash certain things. And it means that they get, you know, used up very fast and we could actually do a very simple thing by just taking more care and that would make those clothes last longer. Yeah. Um, I've recently started hand washing then some of <laughs> some of my garments because um, there's obviously a couple of things I've bought over lockdown um, that it's better to hand wash them or they're washed very cool. So um, I have like a hemp like tie-dye t-shirt, which I love. Yeah, love this t-shirt. I do. Um, it's a brand from, I think, Vicky. It's a girl, Vicky. Um, Vicky Jones, I think. Um, she's from Cornwall and she runs a brand called Sand and Pam. Um, and she's a like print and textile designer and she makes really beautiful like hemp pieces as well as like leggings and swim mainly swimwear and athleisure wear but I got a t-shirt from her and so it's something that I'll hand I need to hand wash rather than wash in the washing machine um and then over lockdown there's a couple other things I purchased that like I got leggings from a brand called Girlfriend Collective um and they need to be washed quite cool because they're made from like recycled bottles which is very cool yeah um which I managed to buy secondhand actually I was so proud of this um I managed to get them secondhand from a yoga teacher um, <laughs> but um so I just then I got into this way of just like I'd set aside a day to hand wash all of these things when they needed washed um and then also like spot washing as well. Like you don't really need to wash your clothes all the time, you know, like. What is spot washing? Like just, you know, if you see a stain, just washing that out or just like yeah. certain wear, wear areas like armpits and stuff. Is that the kind of thing you mean? Yeah, it's just if there's like a slight stain, there's no point washing the entire thing if the rest of it's clean. And I'm one of those people like I will, um... I tend not to wear very light colours a lot of the time because yeah. I, sp I spill things all the time. Um, but do you find, Rachel, that the moment you wear something lighter, you spill more as well? Because yeah. I don't know what uh, happens. Your hand starts shaking. You're like, oh, I have this lovely white shirt. No, no, I've got this coffee all over me. <laughs> like a magnet, you know. Um, yeah. Because I got this really nice sort of light purple sweatshirt and um first honey out and I went to go get a coffee and uh spilled it all down me just all <laughs> down the front of this shirt and it looks so bad as well and just um I had to go home and that just had to be full or washed um but that yeah that's that's my biggest issue but um I've gone to the way of like hand washing certain things I actually kind of like it's quite nice it's quite like a relaxing thing if you have the time to do it it's just it's easy and it's actually quicker than waiting in your washing machine, I guess. Um, it is, yeah, it is. It is very yeah. handy. And actually, like for silks and, you know, for small scarves, that kind of thing, it's just, it's much yeah. better to do it that way. I think they just last so much longer because I have quite a few, um, like retro vintage scars I've collected from secondhand uh, shops or vintage shops and yeah, just hand washing them just with a bit of fabric conditioner, a little bit of soap is like so much quicker and you just you know yeah. dry it on the radiator or just even on a hanger and 
it's perfect and it's much yeah. better for it. Yeah. They won't pill, it'll just like leave the fabric really, really smooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's definitely like um, a lot of things. Like it's kind of, um, you know, there's a lot of those kind of like the sustainable fashion forum. They're great to follow on Instagram and Fashion Revolution as well. They're a really good one because. Um, yeah, they're great. I sort of followed them maybe last year and then I have I have got quite a few of their materials as well um, some of their books and things to read up on and like their calendars and things like that um, uh-huh. which is quite good so it's like one of those ones where it's trying to get you to stop um, there's like challenges sort of like every day or facts of every day um. To, like, like a reminder um, on how you can be more sustainable or more thoughtful and how you yeah. consume yeah and you like set set your intentions for the year by making like a fashion revolution so you know like the month of september is second hand september so you weren't buying anything that was brand new you were buying if you were going to have to buy something or you wanted to buy something that had to like, aim for yeah. that to be second hand um that kind of thing um and so like and then it's loads of different advice so like for sale season like noting to yourself like think before your shop um I know because sales are like actually some of the worst times to over consume because I yeah. know that for a long time anytime you know the Christmas sales are on I was in there and you know five in the morning in next or (laughs) it's really sad river island buying like tons of stuff that did not need and i don't do it anymore but it was it was exciting it was like oh you know what bargains but then you're buying like 20 things so it's not a bargain anymore but it was just yeah i think sales are definitely like you know a place where people over consume yeah and like black friday is on the horizon oh Um, yeah it is actually and uh you know it's the big one I know it's like prime day the other day I didn't even realize that was a thing I didn't Um, know either I watched a gig which was on prime day because I think they had some music out on mm -hmm. Amazon prime but yeah I didn't even know that that was a thing it's turning into more of a you know big event but you hear about you know it brings up the worst in humanity as well because you see people tackling each other over a television and you know, crazy things happening on, on Black Friday. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, it's insane. And like, obviously you can get really great deals. I think if you really need something and it's there on sale, then it enough, works out like, well. It works it's just out holding well. yourself back, isn't it? Because, you know, you're like, oh, yeah. you know, oh, but that nice teapot there is half price. <laughs> oh, I'll just get that even though I have four. Um, yeah. So it's very, very tempting. But you know, one one event I do like is Small Business Saturday because that comes up yeah. as well a bit later on in the year, and I think that that is a really good initiative actually to encourage people to support local and and support small retailers as well because I think a lot of people actually don't know that they could get something locally from someone that's made something locally maybe, and it, it isn't that much more. It is a little bit more maybe, but maybe not always that expensive as what they have in mind. Or they might not even know these stores exist. So I think Small Business Saturday is great at pushing that out as well. Yeah, I think so. Um, And uh, it's always just that like those kind of events are always have such a lovely atmosphere about them as well. Like um, 
even with like the turf and grain Christmas market, like that was such yeah, that was lovely. a really nice environment and a really lovely atmosphere. And it was like, mm-hmm. it's always that really nice place um, and that nice kind of experience when you can actually like talk to the person that is like made what you're going to purchase, you know? And, um, I think that's what's really charming about markets and that's why people love yeah. that. And I, I think it's a shame that actually people focus on markets only towards Christmas. But I think, you know, yeah. there should be many more big events over the year for market traders yeah. and for artisans as well. I think that would be yeah. brilliant. Um, and obviously, like, um, I guess for those creatives and, and um, designers and artists, uh, this year's dramatically different and so like online is gonna be where they're doing the most of their business now or doing the most of their trade um absolutely and we're helping um set up a directory on our pop-up museum which we hope will maybe also direct people to some of these local designers as well on design week site so hopefully that'll be another way it's a small way of contributing to all of this but we hope that it'll maybe highlight some of these people yeah and I think that's such a great thing to do as well and um I think in the lead up to Black Friday as well you see a lot of people sharing um like support small business even because like they're talking about Christmas already um and like uh it's kind of just um I think you can if you if you put in just that extra bit of time you can find someone local who's doing something unique and perhaps making something that you would maybe just not even think about looking for locally you would just automatically go to a high street brand or like a large online retailer to find it but um as a matter of fact there's great people making it here and I think this year more than ever before it's probably really important to consider where you're buying from because it could make a real difference to whether someone's business stays alive or not by how you're purchasing because obviously in previous years that could be the case as well but especially like you said this year where there aren't you know in-person events and places that people can sell in the same way I think it's going to be really important to have that you know that money in place and I think if you can support local coming up to Christmas especially or you know small businesses or independents or freelancers I think that would be really helpful for people I think yeah Absolutely. Um, um, just like helpful for the economy and all of it in general. Just it's, yeah, it's a nice thing to anyway. There's so many talented people because it's not like you know you're just oh you're not buying you know to pity people, but it's just that there's like such a wealth of talent and brilliant designers and creatives. It's a shame that actually all of them are not selling out of their products at this time of the year, whereas people are you know heavily shopping on Amazon for the same kinds of things. But actually you know, somebody down your street could do that for you. So I think, yeah, it's, it's just reconsidering how we're all shopping at this time of the year to help actually keep businesses afloat and help them keep going. I think it'd be really important. But the other thing is also, like you mentioned there about the markets and chatting with people, I think that actually then changes how you view products. Because if somebody tells you that this is not just a candle, you know, it's one that I've made by hand. This is what goes into making it and you know this is how we came up with this idea it totally changes how you look at it it's not just a random product it's something you'll keep then and really look after so I think that storytelling element meeting the maker behind something I think is really really important 
And I've seen that actually in India as well. There's a place called the Lihat, which is in the heart of um, in Delhi. And it's all these artisans from all over India come and sell a specific type of thing that they make. So it could be something that is from a region that specializes in hand-painted um, artworks onto a particular paper, or it could be like a sari that uses you know, particular techniques or block printing or woven techniques. And it's really lovely because you know that your money is going directly to these people and also that they are able to tell you exactly how their product is made. And they only make that one thing. So their whole store will just be purely saris or artwork or a musical instrument or food. It was just one thing. And I think that that would be a really nice way to be able to connect with people and support them as well. And it happens here as well with markets. But I think that sort of mentality of meeting giving the money directly to the person that's making it or as much as you can, I think is really, really important. Yeah. No, I think that's a like really good point of just, yeah, just kind of the whole process of um, consuming something right then and there, purchasing something right then and there from the maker, from someone who has drawn it out as a design or envisaged it in the beginning to then the final product um as well and i guess like as some like you had a stall at the christmas market and and things so like what's it like from the maker side yeah you kind of you feel a bit um exposed in a way because obviously you're front and center talking about your products but then once you settle into it, it's really lovely because people are genuinely interested in asking, you know, what's this and, you know, how did you make this? And and people are really, really curious and people do want to support. It's just that sometimes they don't know how to. So it's whenever, you know, you're signposting them to like a lovely market where there's a big variety of things. So there'll always be something for someone. Um, I think that that's really important. But I I think it's it's interesting because not everyone likes you know, being that salesperson for themselves, in which case I think then a retailer is actually pretty good because they can step in and be that promotion or sales for your work. But I think some people are brilliant tradespeople and market people. Um, I don't know if I have enough experience to do that, <laughs> but I think there are some people that just, you know, they know how to sell those products really, really well and they're great at doing it and they love chatting to people all the time. So, Yeah. And you get that especially here. I think it's something really special about Northern Ireland that, you know, people are not like they're they're competitive, but they're not competing against each other. They're supporting each other most of the time. And I think people are much more collaborative and supportive here than in other places. I think that's a really special yeah. thing that and we I have think, here. Like I've always wondered that is that since sort of the last few years, like um, Belfast has really grown into its own and like, our music scene's amazing um, and just like our local, even like our local coffee and restaurant scene has like just blown up. Yeah. It's boom. So and, yeah, it's um, amazing. We just yeah. have these really amazing little hubs now in Belfast of all these really, almost like these little centers of like creativity almost, I think of, you know, you've got like Cathedral Quarter there and from there you've got the Mac and established and, Kobe and um Golden Thread Gallery and like you know you've got all these like 
amazing little places all surrounding each other like black box and everything so um and then you go yeah yeah and even like next door like the Smithfield quarter is so interesting because we were based there last year for design week and I actually hadn't explored that area that much but they have lots of cool things going on too it's just totally different like a totally different vibe and there's you know the the bicycle coffee shop you've got sunflower bar or just around the corner sunflower pub um you've got the butcher's building where they have pop-ups and that's where we were last year and then they have all Mm -hmm. those lovely little market stalls and they also have some um, <laughs> some naughty <laughs> shops. I'll say it like that, um, <laughs> which yeah. are very busy, <laughs> very very busy. So that was yeah. interesting too. But it's just got that real character. And Biddy Farrelly's, of course, was brilliant as well. Yeah. Lovely local cafe. And yeah, I just think you know, there's so many special things. Like I said, little creative pockets around Belfast to explore. Why don't we hear from our guest? Hi, my name is Lucinda Graham. I am 24 years old and I am from County Down, South Down, that general uh, region of Northern Ireland, aka the back armpit um, of South Down. And I am a sustainable designer, stylist and kind of uh, collaborator extraordinaire. I think that's that's the one that we'll land on. Um I guess the main driver for my creative work, for the work that I uh, produce from the studio, would be that it is uh, completely circular in um, the fact that I try to work exclusively with waste products. Um, So I find myself working a lot with upholstery, working a lot with interior or fabric for interiors or scrap that other people have thrown away. Um, I find it really thrilling and exciting to explore and reinvent what waste can actually be um, and uh, to push boundaries with what we know fabrics to be capable of um to explore utility but also clothes that are beautiful and exciting um is something I get really excited about um I guess my journey uh into designing probably started when I was probably about 15 I started upcycling other people's jeans uh it was a Kesha kind of season everybody was wearing um like super short like Daisy Duke shorts and they were dyed and like tie-dyed and covered in gems and rhinestones or like studs and I was so all here for it so I would take other people's jeans they would give them to me I'd take them home sew them dye them uh, cut them off and like repurpose them and I think that really got me really excited about the possibility of what we can use with things we already have um, and obviously then I, I moved on to <laughs> to bigger things from uh, dyeing denim in my bath. Um, well, actually, no, I still do that. So, <laughs> But I, um, I then went to our college in the University of Ulster. I studied fashion, textile art and design. Um, and so it was there that I... I think creating sustainably was reinforced throughout the course, but it was also something that I was very aware of. But also from a price point, I didn't have the money to buy either sustainable alternatives or 
you know, quality fabric. So I decided to kind of build my own venture in my own way and to only work with um, kind of reclaimed materials. So actually my, my um, uh, like end of kind of degree collection, my graduate collection was solely created from uh, scrap waste and upcycled pieces. Um, and I definitely felt that that resulted in me being looked down upon a little bit as if I was taking a shortcut, but definitely having that time in university to play around and to explore uh, function and shape uh, really informed me for what it is that I do now. Um, advice to those starting out on sustainable fashion journeys. Um, I guess I would say that... It depends whether, I guess, if you're a sustainable creative or if you're a sustainable or trying to be a sustainable individual. Um, I guess a really good uh, pattern to follow is to start with just shopping local. So what can you access that's in your near proximity? Um, whether that comes to food, produce, uh, local coffee shops, local... Um, you know, food and maybe independent makers or whether that's Depop and eBay and Etsy all have incredible uh, ranges. You will not find the same quality of vintage clothing in uh, the high street. It's just, it's just not a thing. So I would definitely recommend uh, kind of exploring other options and kind of shaking up your usual shopping routine. Um, and that's kind of easily done when you step back and look at your wardrobe and, and think, what are the pieces here that are really essential? And um, perhaps if you've bought a coat from a high street retailer, it might not stand the test of time. But if it's something that you really liked, then maybe invest in a vintage one next time. And that way you don't have to do a whole rehaul of your wardrobe just because you want to be sustainable. But actually think about how can I look after the clothes that I have and then replace them with better things. So for me, it's buying less, but buying better. So buying items that are real staple one-off pieces. Um, so things like Levi's jeans, vintage Levi's, a trench coat, a woolen coat, a denim jacket, these kind of wardrobe staples that all can be attained on a very low price point from independent retailers on kind of sites like eBay and Etsy. So you're supporting a local business, you're supporting a vintage store, but you're also uh, supporting kind of more circular fashion. And again, things like denim and wool are obviously made from natural materials. So if you're going to buy new things, try and only buy new things that are made from natural materials, because obviously if they are plastic if they're acrylic based or nylon based um, there's not many resources available for the recycling of those pieces um, so I guess just starting with the wardrobe that you have and slowly incorporating more pieces in a sustainable way um, would be what I would say to just start um, but don't be put off by kind of the journey um, that sounded very hippie white woman the journey but you know what I mean um, next question is, do you feel like designers have a duty to design with the environment in mind? Oh, absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. Um, we, 
I, I remember being in school in, you know, 2011, 2010, which feels like a lifetime ago. But I remember 10 years ago um, thinking that 2025 was such a long way away. And I remember statistics coming out about global warming, about the ice caps, about what scientists were predicting for 2025. And here we are at 2020 and not enough is changing fast enough. And it's extremely worrying, um, especially as fashion is a huge polluter and a, a massive contributor to climate change, to uh, pollution of um, the waterways, to even the ethical side to do with modern day slavery. Um, so I think, yes, absolutely the environment, but just as much as the environment needs to stay in mind, we need to think of the world as a whole, ecologically, sustainably, community-wise. Um, I think taking things smaller, and I wish that more designers would push to invest in fabrics, in developing new fabrics, such as uh, mushroom leather. There's algae leather, um, which can be grown uh, tenfold times as fast as um, as a you know cow hide for leather products, but um, it just isn't being taken up at the same rate. Obviously, designers like Stella McCartney have championed mushroom leather for years, but um, I feel like there's a problem in fashion with people thinking that this is the done thing, this is how it's done, and so therefore I will not challenge the fashion schedule the fashion module and the way that things are done and that is unacceptable things really need to change they need to change fast and hopefully um in the worst and best way covid will be that catalyst which will force designers to look at their schedules to look at the machine that fashion has created and kind of all of its ugliness and hopefully force people to really change and to change their shopping habits and to change for the better at least um that would be my hope um that yeah that people would constantly design with the integrity to say if this if me making this piece will contribute to pollution to waste to even just to unnecessary buying um then it's not good enough um, and therefore I will not profit from this piece. We have to put the environment before our own needs and before our own profit because ultimately without the earth, without the environment, we are nothing. Um, and unfortunately, the majority of designers live in the, uh, you know, the Americas, the UK, the Europe, and therefore we are not the countries that are being affected the most currently by climate change, which kind of causes a dullness and a blindness and a an objective blindness to the issues that are arising at an alarmingly rapid rate um and we yeah we just we need to pay attention they cannot be ignored longer it's scary but i do have hope i do have hope that things can change and hopefully the rise of smaller independent designers will really spark that Thanks for listening to this episode of Island Designed. As we discuss how we can ethically engage with the design and support those in Belfast leading the way and innovating, 
There are numerous reasons to support our local businesses and designers, be it for economic purposes, preserving the individuality of our towns, or just trying to be more eco-friendly. If these creators and businesses disappear, it's troubling to consider what disappears along with them. Let's do our best to support local where we can and invest in all the amazing creators that make Belfast so great. This podcast was produced as a collaboration project between Belfast Design Week and Turf and Green. If you would like to find out more about Belfast Design Week, please visit www.belfastdesignweek.com.